this brings up something and I, I wanted to maybe bring this up just as a interesting contrast to that. Um, uh, are you familiar with Michael Mann? I believe he's a climatologist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is, I mean, interesting yeah. guy. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you quote him in your most recent article, I believe. Yeah, the, got, the, really pissed him off on Twitter. He was very pissed because I was actually just looking you up on Twitter. You don't have a Twitter any longer, no, which I think is a smart got, move on, on your part. I got off. Um, yeah. Especially at the level, like the public exposure you have, I think it makes sense. Um, but anyway, in looking up your name on Twitter, I did find uh, the most some of the most recent posts about you, which is by Michael yeah. Mann, and he apparently wrote about you in his book. Um, and I just want to quote: He describes you uh, as the ultimate doomist, and he yeah. said in 2018, uh, "You uh, literally wrote a book titled We're Doomed,' it's and not the title of the book." I will say, yeah, it's we're doomed now. What? But yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. Um, but something that he brings up in that is is really just how and and I and I say I, and I don't disagree with you um, at all. But you have a you do have a sense of doom or a sense of fatalism or or pessimism as it could maybe be framed as well to your writings regarding climate disruption, climate change, um, which I know man is very much against. Yeah. Um, he's very much like that. That approach, even if there is something true to it, will lead us to a place of despair and inaction and that there is still, in fact, things we can do and there is still time to make changes. And in, in this particular quote he highlighted of his own book, um, he talks about how you've described like climate activists and the hope that they have, uh, youth climate activists in particular, that their efforts is something as like pure Disney. Like this is a fantastical idea that we can actually stop something as horrible and as destructive and catastrophic as climate disruption. Um, I mean, what do you think of that character? I mean, I'm sure you've not just from Michael Mann. I mean, I think you're, you're, you're a popular writer. You just had, again, you had a piece published in the New York times. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of at the forefront of this. And I mean, how do you even feel about being characterized as a doomist? Um, and uh, and do you really like, are you really advocating for what he is, say Michael Mann is saying that you're advocating for, which is just like inaction and hopelessness? Yeah, well, so, I mean, no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I, mean, I have the utmost respect for Michael Mann as a scientist and as, a, as an advocate on climate change issues. And I know he's been viciously attacked for years by right-wing denialists and and right-wing think tanks and like um i mean and i you know i quote i i read michael mann and i respect his work and i uh you know as you said i quoted him in that in that most recent piece and i've quoted him before um as in his capacity as a scientist and, a, and an expert on that sure um on that information um He's a shitty reader, though, of, <laughs> of my work, at least. Uh, and, and if he had the same, I mean, if he, if he had the same standards as a scientist that he brought to, to my work, um, then he, he wouldn't have a career. Because um, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a tendentiousness in his reading. Um, and it, what it seems like to me is that there's something in my approach or my attitude that sets him off 
and yeah. prevents him from actually reading into the nuance uh, or reading reading actually what I'm what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, he like in his book he takes me to task for you know criticizing criticizing Greta Thunberg, but I I never did. I never I never have, and I wouldn't. I think Greta Thunberg is a courageous um, and intelligent and admirable young woman. I think people who expect her to heroically save us, right? I think the adults in the room who, you know, who enlist children as the heroes in this fight are engaging in highly questionable activity, right? I I think Mm -hmm. we can criticize rightfully and question the kind of discursive logic and the kind of political and tactical approach that that puts children in this kind of sacrificial performative position as if as if the burden is theirs to save the planet right as if it's not it's too late for us adults like it's the children who who don't have the video just stopped is it still okay um you know it's too late for us adults it's the children who don't have careers yet who don't have mortgages who don't you know it's the children who are going to save us that's the disney that's the disney bullshit that I, I, I'm critical of. Um, and I stand by that. Um, but that, you know, that distinction isn't something man is interested in, in taking up. Um, and I understand that, you know, from, from his point of view as a scientist and as an activist as, and as an advocate, maybe that kind of distinction he sees is, you know, um, a lot of people make this argument that like, you know, any kind of, criticality or whatever is like undermining the fight. Um, you have to be with, you're with us or yeah. you're against us. And I simply reject that logic. Uh, I think that's simplistic and wrong. And, um, and I don't, you know, I don't think it makes sense, but I will say, I, you know, I mean, it may be that what activates or what, what gets man's goat is, that I am a pessimist. Um, I don't, I'm not a fatalist. Uh, I'm not a doomist. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I know that I read, you know, that I read the science that I read, um, what the scientists say and what they say is necessary. Um, when I take that and then I compare that to, you know, what I see in the political realm and what I see from politicians and world leaders and business interests. And when I filter all that through what I know about history and um, human fallibility and human psychology, I wind up, you know, with the sense that, yeah, we're probably totally fucked, but... (laughs) Um, and that the odds of actually, of actually everybody coming together to, to like completely revolutionize the global energy system and reorganize human society in an intentional way that manages to get us off entirely off fossil fuels, um, without going to war, um, you know, in the next 10 or 20 years, right before, before temperatures and before all these other effects, you know, sort of aggregate into a set of 
you know, uh, cascading tipping points, right, where we lose control over any ability to do anything. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think there are the odds of, of us doing that, of us successfully managing that are very good. Um, so yeah, I'm a yeah. pessimist. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of people, especially people more committed to an activist position when it comes to climate change, um, regard even that as like a council of despair or too much, or I don't know, advocacy of doom or whatever. For me, I see myself as saying, you know, again, to go back to this issue of like mortality, um, I come at this from a, I guess, a a more philosophical position, right? Uh, If you, from a more existential position, if we want to ask real questions, if we want to ask real questions about how to change human society, if we want to ask real questions about how to live in this world that that is changing around us we need to um really confront confront the the maximal position right we need to we need to face the direst possibilities and we need to come to some acceptance of what we've already lost and what what actually has already been changed because and this is the other aspect for me is that it's not just about carbon right it's not just about fossil fuels right it's not even just about global warming right the the human species and you can blame capitalism or you can blame whatever but the, the human species has has radically transformed the the planet that we live on in countless ways right from from you know, from the the form of animal life that that now, you know, mostly live on animal on on the planet Earth, which is you know mostly the the animals we eat, um, yeah, uh, excepting insects. That's a different category. I mean, like mammalian life. Um, sure. To you know what we've done to water flow and and damming rivers and you know paving wetlands and just on and on and on right the the system of integrated ecosystems on the planet that we depend on for life has been has been monkeyed with in, in profound and and perhaps um perhaps unredeemable ways um we don't know. We don't, we don't know. Uh, and that too, right. Is something that like needs to be confronted and dealt with and, and is not going to be answered by progressive politics or just, you know, un, you know, protecting a, you know, protecting a wetland, right. It's a much deeper issue that we need to confront both in the present and with regard to how we carry ourselves ethically into the future, right? Because the consequences are continue to unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what's coming up is you're just 
pointing to very, I mean, you've, and then you do this in your writing over and over again, which is to just bring up the data, just bring up the information. Mm-hmm. What's, you know, some of the worst case projections that we may have had or scientists have had maybe a few years ago are lining up with what's happening now. Yeah. I mean, there's some things that they predicted would happen almost a hundred years from now that are happening yeah. like today. So psychologically, how does one make sense of that and then begin to live according to that information? And if you are trying to inspire action to deal with this uh, very real crisis, I mean, this is this seems to be the real big issue I, I feel, find with maybe environmental activism or climate activism is there's this strange conflict there where they want let's let's look at the science and look at the information and educate people so people know what the real issues are mm-hmm. but as soon as you actually really really look at it and the true implications of it then it can inspire something that they don't want people to go they don't want people to go down that far because right. if you start to look at it a little too closely then yeah there's this real feeling of despair and potentially the fear that many people have is that that will lead to a, a sense of like nihilism, um, a sense of like, well, what's the what's the point of any of this? You know? Yeah. And that's and, a deep that's I a mean, real existential question. And that's a philosophical question. And I don't know if yeah. climate activists are equipped to really <laughs> grapple with those huge questions. Well, and this is the I mean, this is the masochistic task, I guess I've set myself, which is presenting these questions, right? Like, what is the point? Why? Why should, why, you know, what does that mean? Like, um, you know, I think despair is productive, can be productive, right? I think that kind of paralyzation where you stop and you ask yourself, why do I keep doing the same thing over and over again? Maybe I should do something else, right? Maybe what should I do? Um, you know, action is great, but, but there's reactive action and then there's intentional action and, you know, and then, and then there's, you know, like the Buddhist idea of like right action, you know? Um, and I think, I think given the scope of the, the crisis that we are in and given the stakes the dangers of react reactive action are too great to to just keep keep going you know to just keep acting keep fighting i think we need to to have that that moment um i think we need to slow down and have that moment where we really ask ourselves like how do we want to move forward? How do we, um, what does it mean to be human? Um, what kind of relationship do we want to have to the non-human world? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, because it's part of the, part of my concern, and this goes back to the, um, the war, uh, the war climate change question. Um, part of my concern is that the less we confront the existential challenge of, 
of our moment, the less we are willing to address the feelings that it brings up, the less we're willing to confront the despair, the less we're willing to sit with the fear and the hopelessness, the more all that stuff is going to come up in other ways. And it's going to come up through, um, you know, manifestations of, of nationalism. It's going to come up through manifestations of, of scapegoating and violence. It's going to come up through eco-fascism. It's going to come up through, um, it's just, you know, these, and you know, this is, you know, these, these, these big, cause I mean, everybody, I think, you know, the human animal, uh, evolved for a certain range of environments. Um, and evolved in a certain certain kind of relationship to to its environment and we don't we don't live in that anymore and i think even people who may consciously deny climate change or deny that it's anthropogenic or deny that it's a problem or whatever like i think anybody can tell that there's something happening with the weather like Mm -hmm. it's just not like the weather's not being the way it's supposed to be. Like there are, and maybe this is, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's like for younger people now, but I know for me, like it, it, and maybe this is, maybe this is just what I expect to see. Maybe this is just um, confirmation bias. Uh, but it seems like there are fewer birds. It just, there are, it yeah. seems like there used to be more birds and now there are fewer. I don't know if it's because I live in a different place or whatever, but it like, um, and fewer insects as well. Definitely, I would say fewer insects. I used to remember on road trips that this windshield would be covered with with insects, and now it's not. It some places, but like so often, like mm-hmm. it's you know, and that's a weird measure. Like, but (laughs) nevertheless, like, and, you know, and, but the science bears this out, right? This, it does appear that we're losing Mm -hmm. a massive amount of the bird population. We're losing, um, insect population. Like there's an ecological collapse happening and we're, we are not as much as we want to believe we are. And as much as, you know, we live in these walls and on these screens, like we're not actually separate from our environment there. I think I think it's got to be affecting people. You know, this is speculative, but like, in some sense, I think, you know, the, the, these, these stresses are going to come out. They're going to emerge. Um, And the, the stresses of, of resource scarcity, the stresses of, you know, increasing, pressures on infrastructure, um, the stresses of desertification and drought, crop failure, you know, all the stuff, all the, all the, all the consequences of climate change, not even just like, oh, you know, methane gun. I don't even care about, about that. Mm -hmm. Like I'm talking about 
you know, food riots and countries going to war over water, which, you know, is, is gonna like, you know, the clock is ticking, right? We're going to see this stuff in the next 10 years, the next 15 years. Um, We've already seen, right? The Syrian civil war. Um, We've already seen refugees driven by drought um, and agricultural failure. Um, You know, that's, that's what I'm concerned about. And that's why I think we need to be having more of this, you know, fraught existentialist philosophical discussion about, about exactly how um, profound the changes are um, and how much we need to rethink some of the foundational elements of the civilization that we live in from, you know, um, you know, from capitalism to, you know, racial hierarchies to, you know, to to the simple idea of progress, right? Like we've got to take it all apart. 